0: Well, good morning, new life. Good to see y'all. If you're a little if you got a crossword puzzle, be paying attention to that crossword puzzle. See if you can fill in the blanks. I did it earlier this week. And it's a piece of my sermon, so I was able to do it. So hopefully you guys can do it as well. But pay attention. Pay attention. I think you'll be able to get it. So, we are 3 weeks into 2023 this new year. How are you doing on your resolutions? Sticking to them? Okay, I Hopefully. Uh, I didn't make any, so uh, I guess I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. But if you are like the millions of Americans that have decided this is the year you're going to get in shape, lose those extra pounds, perhaps you can relate to the middle-aged man who recently emailed his pastor this. Hey Larry, I know it's the beginning of a new year, but if you're going to preach on New Year's resolutions, please be advised, I don't need any more guilt trips. I recently had my annual physical, and my doctor again encouraged me to lose some weight. He told me I should join a gym and participate in some fitness classes. That's what I did. This past week, I gave it my first go. It was torture. For close to an hour, I jumped and kicked and twisted and turned, perspired and panted. But by the time I got my sweatpants on, the class was already over. Yeah, unfortunately, if if you're going to get in shape this year, it's going to take a little pain, okay? It's going to make you maybe a, be a little bit uncomfortable, and the same thing is oftentimes true with us spiritually. In order for us to grow spiritually, it's oftentimes the hard times that God uses to stretch us, to grow us, to help us depend more on Him. And That's what we're going to talk about today as we open up this brand new teaching series based on the book of 2 Corinthians, which was a a letter written to Christians in the first century, who were people who were trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world that was constantly running away from him. So let's dig into the text. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians says this: Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by God's will, and Timothy our brother. ...to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction... ...through the comfort we ourselves receive from God." For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. There's a lot going on here. But the main nugget of truth that I want to extract from the text today and talk with you about today is that God allows us to go through hardship. I hate to say it, but I don't know what 2023 has in store for you. I hope it's the best year that you've had in your life, and yet I imagine, I'm pretty confident that at some point during this year you will experience some sort of hardship, some sort of affliction, some sort of disappointment. You know, someone's going to get sick, someone, we're going to lose somebody, something precious to us. And in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of the pain, we have to ask ourselves, so what is that going to do to our faith? What's that going to do to our relationship with God? For most people, it's pain, it's hardship, it's affliction that causes the most distress to their faith. It's the the problem of pain, the problem of evil and suffering that causes most people to doubt whether God exists or maybe he exists and he's just not good or maybe he doesn't care about us. But something that we see in the text today is that pain and hardship, the storms that we face, are not an indication that God is not there, that God is not good. No, but God uses this as an opportunity to draw us closer to him and give us an opportunity to shine brighter for him. My sermon in a sentence could be summed up in this, that following Jesus doesn't take the pain away, following Jesus makes the pain count. It's about three weeks ago now, the Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, laid lifeless on a football field in Cincinnati. For about nine minutes, trainers had to bring him back to life, get his heart to stop, start beating again. Millions of Americans were watching. It saw both football teams take a knee to pray for this young man who they didn't know was, if he was going to make it or not. Millions of people all over the world started praying for DeMar. Eventually, his life came back his heart started pumping again but he had to fight for many days for his life in that critical care unit in the ICU family had to endure this uncertainty but I saw some pretty cool things happen you know the next day I saw on live tv on ESPN a NFL analyst Say this i don't know if this is appropriate right now i don't know if this is appropriate to do but the buffalo bills are an organization that say they believe in prayer and i think i need to pray right now and his other his co-hosts were like go for it and he just started praying on live tv for demar a few days later when demar came to in that icu started responding showing signs of improvement i saw steve mariucci on live tv on the nfl nfl network say that god answers prayer he says that, that prayer changes things. He started praising God for answered prayer. And I said, yes, Steve, I believe that. I believe that God answers prayer. But I began to think, you know, but why didn't God just heal tomorrow right then and there? As millions of people were watching, as millions of people started praying, like, why didn't he answer our prayers right then? Why did he have to fight for his life for several days? Like, why, God? But then I began to think, but... But if Demar wouldn't have, you know, if he would have, if he would have bounced right back off off the turf, would millions of people have been praying that week for him? When millions of people have gone to their knees to show their dependency on their heavenly Father, I imagine if he would have bounced right back off the turf, most people would have been like, "Oh, I guess it wasn't that bad of an injury. I guess he probably just got the wind knocked out of him. On with the show. Everything is fine." If he wouldn't have had to fight for his life in that hospital bed and millions of people were praying for him they probably wouldn't have raised about nine million dollars for his charity a charity that he had set a goal of twenty five hundred dollars for right the the generosity they over the overflowing i don't know i don't understand exactly why god allows us to go through pain and suffering i don't know exactly why he answers some prayers and and not others but i do know that god is a god who's able to take evil pain and suffering and to bring good from it and we see that in DeMar's story. We got to see it in the last game of the season when the Buffalo Bills took on the New England Patriots a few days later. He was still in his hospital bed, but he tweeted this. He says, "Hey, I wish I could be out there with my brothers today. Can't be, but he says God is using me in a different way today." He said, "Go love somebody today. Yes, God is able to bring good from our storms, from our pain. And the good news is or the bad news is, depending on how you see it, you don't have to go looking for pain and suffering." okay it's just gonna come your way this year the first minister i ever worked underneath is a guy named brett Cockrell. where he planted a church in buffalo and got to serve with him and he would tell our church friends there are only three places you can be in life he says, there are three places you can be you can either be heading into a storm sitting in the middle of a storm or heading out of a storm okay those are the only three places you can be in life and i said yeah actually That's true of the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, right? You you read his story in the book of Acts, and you see him coming to faith. Why? Because God blinds him, right? He takes away his sight. That's his come-to-Jesus moment, this physical affliction he can't even see. But that got his attention. All of a sudden, now he starts following Jesus, and then all of a sudden, nobody wants to have anything to do with him. He's ostracized. Not even the Christians want anything to do with him at the beginning, and eventually they adopt him into their family. Eventually he starts preaching about Jesus. And what does that lead to? Persecution. It leads to beatings. It leads to storm after storm after storm, sitting in jail cells. The Apostle Paul was well acquainted with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 that say this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. W- with less of you, there's more of God and his rule you're blessed when you feel that you have lost what is most dear to you only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you yes in the midst of our pain in the midst of our hardship we are to follow the words of psalm 50 god says this hey call on me in a day of trouble i will rescue you and you will honor me yes you will honor me god's saying hey I'm going to allow you to go through hard times because it's going to give you an opportunity to draw closer to me and to shine brighter for me. This is Ernie Johnson. Some of you might recognize him as a sports commentator. He works for the TNT Network, host of the Inside the NBA, very successful sports broadcaster. But what you might not know about him is that he's a follower of Jesus who has faced cancer, battled it not just once, but twice. And about 35 years ago, his life radically changed when him and his wife were watching the news, and they saw a news report about orphans in Romania, these kids that had just been abandoned, had no one to take care of them. And and Cheryl, his wife, her heart just broke for these kids and said, Ernie, do you think you know God might be saying we should expand our family through adoption? And Ernie was like, Maybe, I don't know. Why don't you go over there and, and just see maybe if there's the right child for us? And so Cheryl ended up flying over to Romania and, and visited one of the orphanages she saw on that broadcast. The first child she was introduced to was this young blonde boy. Handed handed to her, and well the caretaker said, Don't take him. He no good. He's no good. But all throughout the week, as she met other children, she couldn't get the, the thought and the image of this young boy's face out of her mind. She just kind of it's like she's like, I know this gotta be this has gotta be the one for us. And so later that week, as she was getting ready to return back home, she called Ernie and said, hey, Ernie, I think I found the one. He is way too much for us to handle. But I can't imagine living the rest of my life wondering whatever happened to that that blonde boy from Romania. He was three years old, he couldn't talk. He could just make some undiscernible noises. He was clearly, physically, mentally handicapped, and yet Ernie said, we'll bring him home. Bring him home, and so Cheryl brought him home, and they adopted him, gave him the name Michael. Several years later, Michael was diagnosed with uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, A disease that attacks every muscle and fiber in your body, renders you pretty much paralyzed. And so by the time he was in high school, the only way Michael could get around was through his motorized wheelchair. A lot of people felt sorry for him, and yet he woke up every single day in order to put a smile on somebody else's face. Took all the energy he had to be able to get to school and just drive around. One day he was in one of his... Classes And the high school basketball coach walked in, never met Michael before. And so he introduced himself to Michael. You know, I'm the basketball coach, nice to meet you. And as the basketball coach was leaving the room, Michael shouts out, I love you too, coach. I love you too. And the coach was like, what? What did he say? And the teacher says, oh, that's just Michael. No, don't, don't worry about that. He says that to everybody. Well, the coach was so moved by Michael's kindness that he went to the office. He didn't know who Michael's dad was, but he, he looked up his home phone number and called up his dad and said, Hey, hey Ernie, Mr. Johnson, could, could Michael be on the basketball team? You know, Ernie kind of chuckled like, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to score many points for you. And I think he's going to be kind of slow to the ball on defense. But I mean, he's like, I know, I know, I know. I want Michael to be on our team Because he can really teach our boys a lesson in determination and hard work, perseverance, and, and a love for others. That's why I want him on my team. And so Ernie said, sure, he can be on the team. And so he obviously never got to play, never got to practice, never scored a basket. But he would sit behind the bench during games. And on senior night, when Michael was a senior, he was recognized. He drove out to center court on his wheelchair, and the coach talked about him. And as he did, the entire student body held up the I Love You Too sign, a, a love that they had learned from Michael, a love that Michael had learned from his father. As this video shows their special bond. Let's watch this video.
1: You're looking good, kid. Looking good, kid. Looking good, kid. We're buds, we spend a lot of time together. The good thing about my schedule is that I don't have to be downtown every day. Hey, Daddy. Hey, guys. Well, Dad, boy, too. I love you, too. About. I'm, I'm his dad, obviously. I'm his buddy. We just like to do stuff together. Hi, Daddy. For <laughs> what? I love you so much. I love you so much. March 26, 2014. Ernie's in the studio until 3 a.m. A few hours later, he's up. The car going to be cool. The car show is going to be cool. Today is a big day. Michael lives for the car show every year. He loves it. He is so obsessed with cars, and he'll get that high-pitched, Daddy, as soon as the first car show commercial comes on. That's Christmas, Disneyland, all rolled up in right. one. On hook for two seconds, OK? Ready? One, two, three. You're the greatest man. You're the greatest man you. All right. It's just guys hanging out today, right? I feel i right Yeah, you and me. Daddy. Daddy, Michael. Says this way to the auto show. He is perfectly and wonderfully made. Toyota. Toyota? Toyota, yes. Toyota's right there. There we toys. go. Look at that. Yes. Yes. That one smells real new. That smells real new. Look. Sometimes our expectations get so high, and our our desires get so high for the next this or the next that. Thank you very much. Hey, Michael, here we go. Michael, here we go. Inside. A Honda C wheel. You give Michael a car magazine or laminate a picture for him, and he's like, I hit the lottery. You like it? this? Yes. Should I go to Daddy's? yeah so that he's yeah he's whole he's um he's gotta figure it out
0: yeah ernie's you know an accomplished journalist, but he says that's that's my boy, that's my son, I'm gonna take care of him, I'm gonna love him, and he loves him with a love that he has received from his heavenly. It was in 1997 when Ernie surrendered his life to Christ for the very first time. He says this, it was a life-changing day. Only at that moment was I able from that point on in my life to switch from having a me-centered life to a God-centered life. And that life change helped Ernie start living by this motto. Ernie says this is his life motto. He says, trust God, Period. That's the the motto he lives, I trust God, period. Ernie says, I I trust God when the diagnosis is in my favor and when it's not. He says, I trust God when, when he gives and when he takes away, like when Michael passed away a little over a year ago, but not before, teaching the world around him about the love of our Heavenly Father, Ernie says that he trusts God, period, because it's only God. He says it's only God who will take an orphan from Romania whose caretakers say is no good and connect him with a basketball coach in Georgia who's looking to teach his players about hard work and determination and about love for others and ends up teaching a whole student body about that kind of love. Ernie says it's only God. Who does that? Only God, That the the God that in our text, verse 3 says, is the father of mercies. Yes, the father of mercies. the, The father who loved us so much he would send his son to this foreign world to adopt us, no good sinners, into his family. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is Wally Simmons. Some of you may recognize him. He's on our greeting team at our Chantilly campus. He's also the leader of our Celebrate Recovery ministry. I asked Wally if I could share some of his story this morning. He said, sure, as long as you tell people about Celebrate Recovery. This this group of people, we're a community of people that are helping each other find healing from our hurts, our hang-ups, our bad habits. We meet every Friday night at, at the End Zone in Chantilly. So he's on our greeting team. He's also our lead of our suburb Recovery Ministry. And he is, every day of the week, the safety manager of Fairfax County. The safety manager for Fairfax County. So he is a busy guy. Okay, he's a busy guy. Got a lot on his plate. And yet, what you'll find him doing on nights and weekends is calling people who are hurting. People that he's, he's walking with through the 12 steps of recovery. I get to serve underneath his leadership in, in C.R., and there are days when I'm like, I don't know if I've got anything good to offer. I'm tired. This is, ener- this is draining my energy. And yet I think about Wally. You know, dur- during the pandemic, he had to walk every single new person. If you wanted to come to Celebrate Recovery, you need to do what's called discovering CR, kind of like an orientation to CR. He would normally do that on a Friday night in person, but we were all virtual, all on Zoom. He had to do it with every single person one on one. And yet he did it joyfully. It was never a burden to him. I asked him, he says, I love doing this. And the reason why it's such a a joy to him to to help hurting people is because he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. He's a wounded warrior. He knows what it's like to battle addictions and to fail. He knows what it's like to raise a child and not get it right all the time. He, He knows what it's like to go through the heartbreak of divorce. And so now his heart breaks for people that are going through those hardships. And he's got an empathy that he wouldn't have if he wouldn't have gone through that pain himself. There are some Friday nights when people come up to me and they share what they're going through. They share the burden that they're carrying. And it's hard for me to relate because I've not gone through it. I have, no, I have no words of wisdom to share with them. And so I just say, hey, I'm sorry. And can we, can we pray about that? And we pray. And then I say, hey, have you, have you shared that with Wally. Have you shared that with Wally? Because he has have a wisdom that I don't have. And Most of the time they take me up on the offer, and they do. And they receive great comfort from him because through his hurt, God has taught him how to be a comfort to others. He is learning not to, to waste a hurt. And Wally would tell you that following Jesus doesn't take the pain away. But following Jesus makes the pain count as it increases your empathy for others and it teaches you how to Help people. You know the words to share and not to share. You know when to show up and when not to show up. That's why verse 5 continues saying this. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. How can our comfort overflow to others? Well, it, it first means we need to set our eyes on Jesus. We need to look to him and what he has gone through on the cross for us. We need to look to him and his sufferings. I mean, just think about it this way. How would we ever appreciate or cherish or value what Christ has done for us, leaving his throne in heaven to serve us, to die on a cross, if we've never experienced physical pain, right? if we've not, never experienced maybe distance from our loved ones, from our family members, if we've not experienced being betrayed by a best friend, being abandoned by your friends and family, if you've not experienced physical, emotional pain, How could we ever value what Jesus has done for us on the cross? How could we ever cherish it? And so in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our storms, we need to set our eyes on Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you would endure what I am going through and so much more to bring me back to you, to adopt me into your family. And the reason why we know that Jesus endured this pain for us is because even though he didn't write any books of his own, his first followers, Jesus, they they followed in his footsteps of suffering. They went through storms and they didn't say, oh, I guess this is an indication that we've followed the wrong God and we, we followed the wrong Messiah. No, they said, our, our Savior, he suffered for us, and so we are going to endure hardship for him. And we're going to use an opportunity for God to draw us closer to him and shine brighter. For him, and that's why when Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor, started dipping Christians in lighter fluid and, and lighting them on fire to illuminate his gardens that night, Christians didn't fall back. They didn't say, We didn't sign up for this. But they endured that hardship, and because of it, the, the, the watching world said, There is something different about these people, there is something to their faith. And Christianity began to spread. And when when famines began to strike the Roman world, it was Christians who were first to the plate to take up offerings to feed hungry people. Why? Because they said, we have been fed by the bread from heaven and we can't keep it to ourselves. And when pandemics swept across the Roman world and, and everyone else fled to the countryside, it was Christians who fled to the cities to people who were hurting to people who were sick and there was christians who went and nursed people back to health with the message that we have been healed by the great physician we've been healed by the great physician and you can receive this healing ourselves because we're not afraid of what awaits us on the other side of death and because they took this message of jesus to hurting people because they took the comfort they had received and shared it with others christianity began to spread and eventually got to you Me, These early Christians, they received comfort from their Heavenly Father. And they shared it with the world around them. Kind of like our friend Gail Toth. Gail Toth is a new lifer. Back in 1996, she received the words that no parent ever wants to hear. Her two-year-old daughter, Jennifer, was diagnosed with cancer. Fortunately, through treatment and through a lot of prayer jennifer beat that cancer and in the, shortly after her last chemotherapy treatment she and her family gail took her family jennifer and her the rest of her family to a camp in maine called camp sunshine it's the only camp in the united states that offers free retreats for families that have children with life-threatening illnesses and so they went and they spent a week up there and they were just refreshed. They were encouraged. And they came back home and Gail said, we can't keep this comfort to ourselves. The comfort we have received, we need to share with others. And so they've gone back every single year to Camp Sunshine, not as campers, but as volunteers to share the comfort they received with people who are now facing the battle that they once faced. And 15 years ago, Gail said, I want to do more. I want to do more than just volunteer my time. I want to raise money for Camp Sunshine. And so she organized the Virginia Polar Dip. It's a charity event where you raise money, you get people to to support you as you pledge to jump into freezing cold Lake Anne in Reston in February. I'd actually never heard of it until several weeks ago when Gail emailed me, inviting me to do it and organize a team to do it. And I thought... You're asking a kid from Buffalo to jump in a lake in February in Virginia? Might as well be a hot tub. Of course I'm going to do it. So if anyone wants to join me, okay, you can join my team. You can join my team. You can email me, C at newlife.church. You can join my team or you can contribute to the cause if you want to contribute. Well, we're raising money to help people receive comfort, the comfort that Gail and her family has received. One really cool story, students, is... You know, Jennifer, she was two when she experienced that cancer. She ended up becoming a nurse and now a nurse practitioner at the same hospital where she received her treatment so that she can share that comfort with kids that are going through the same thing that she went through. So think, what what has God brought you through? What, what, what has He brought you through? Has he, has he brought you through cancer? Some sickness? maybe this week you need to pray, God, God, would you put on my heart somebody who is going through the same battle that I faced so I can be an encouragement to them? Man, don't forget what it was like. Don't forget what it was like to face that battle and sometimes feel like you were alone and unsupported. Don't let somebody else go through that. Maybe you're a single parent. You're a single parent. Maybe your kids are older now, but you remember what it was like to be a single parent with young kids sacrifices you are making feel like you're underappreciated. Nobody was seeing what you were doing. And don't forget what it was like. And this week, reach out to that single parent that you know. Maybe here from church, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe at work. And say, I I see the sacrifices that you're making for your kids. I was once there. I want to support you. I want to be there for you. And and offer to babysit for them. Do what you wish someone had done for you or what someone did do for you that gave you great comfort. What has God brought you through? Maybe he's brought you through financial difficulties. Maybe there was a time in your life where you're like, I have no idea where rent is going to come from this month. But he's brought you through that. Maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to now serve people who are in those situations through our passion for community ministry, a ministry that helps people who are transitioning out of homelessness into permanent housing. What has God brought you through? Has he brought you through a divorce? Has he brought you through infidelity? Is he brought you through an addiction? If he has, understand that God has not brought you through those storms so you can leave everybody else in the dust and say, figure it out on your own. No, he's brought you through those storms so that you can be a comfort, you can be a source of hope and wisdom to those who are facing those battles today you know and sometimes God allows us to go through hardship because he sees that we've got a death grip on some of these things in this world that are temporary they're oftentimes good things you know our our careers our health our money sometimes people who are even close to us we got a death grip on them and God says, I don't want you to have a death grip on them. I want you to have a death grip on me. And it's sometimes the hardships that allow us to take our grip off of those things to place them on to God. That's why verse 8 continues saying this. "Say We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Have you ever been there? Ever gone through those seasons where it took all the energy you had to get out of bed in the morning? The Apostle Paul knows what it's like. Right? All the energy you have just to get on with your day. The, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about facing the sentence of death, despair even of life itself. What is he describing? He's describing depression i want to go on and yet the apostle paul says in those seasons god used it for good because it made me rely on him depend on him draw closer to him like no other season let me wrap up and illustrate that point with this last story this is helen lemel She was born in England in the late 19th century. She was an accomplished pianist and and singer, would tour different cities in Europe, performing. She ended up marrying a rich aristocrat. So she had every comfort that you would ever want. She ended up, her and her husband ended up moving to the United States, and she became sick. And, And her sickness ended up robbing her of her eyesight. She became completely blind, couldn't see anything. Not wanting to be inconvenienced and kind of embarrassed by her ailment, her husband ended up divorcing her, left her penniless. So almost overnight, she went from privilege to poverty. All the comforts gone, by herself, lonely. Helen, in a very dark moment in her life, just cried out to God, 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 why would you, why would you allow me to go through this? This doesn't make any sense, God. And yet she sensed that the Holy Spirit was telling her in that moment, Helen, yes, you may have lost your ability to see, but you haven't lost your ability to sing. So she went back to the piano. This little children's piano was the only thing she could afford. And she began composing music, music that talked about the, the goodness of God, even when life is not. And all of a sudden, people started singing her songs. Christians and churches all over the world began to sing them, and she became one of the most prolific hymn writers in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. All these songs that came out of her hurt. One of the songs she wrote, quite telling of her struggles and her pain, right after she lost her sight, goes like this. Perhaps you're familiar. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Yes, Helen will tell you that following Jesus doesn't make the pain go away. But following Jesus makes the pain count my friends, one day Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. He promises us this in Revelation 21 when he says he's going to return. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. Because Jesus says on that day there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more divorce, no more depression. Because he says on that day all those things will pass away. They will be a thing of the past. And so the Bible encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of our heavenly Father. So I encourage you, in the midst of your storms, place your eye on Jesus. Thank him for what he endured on your behalf. Allow him to draw you closer to him in the midst of it and shine brighter for him. What is your next step? Maybe your next step today is to give your life to Christ for the very first time and experience the great love, the great mercies of your Heavenly Father through the waters of baptism. You can make that decision today. Whatever your next step, maybe it's to reach out to somebody who's hurting and to share the comfort you have received with them. Maybe it's baptism. Whatever your next step is, I pray that you would listen to God's voice and to take that next step. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are not a, a, a God who is aloof, who's out from far distant galaxy. We don't have to wonder, God, if you are concerned about what we're going through. We know that you sent your son Jesus to endure every pain, every hardship that we will have to endure. You understand what it's like to see a son suffer. You, un- you understand to see him go through pain and agony, God but he did that for us and so we are grateful we are thankful so I pray God that in the midst of the storms in the midst of the pain that you would allow us to draw closer to you experience a deeper more intimate fellowship with with you we can shine brighter for you it's in Jesus' name that we pray amen